Franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with a business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Welcome to episode 37 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, and this is my colleague, Sarah Wasco. We created this podcast to bring you education and information about business ownership and all things franchising. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Joshua Malik. He is the founder and CEO of Joshua Tree Experts. Hi, Joshua. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, Roxanne, Sarah, thank you so much for having me a part of your show. (laughs) Well, to get us started, we would love to hear your journey to entrepreneurship, what got you into the tree service business, and ultimately how you ended up owning a tree service business. We just thought your story was super interesting, so we wanted to share it with uh, our listeners. I I, Well, thanks for that, and and it's uh, I love telling this story. Um, I was, I was at a young age. I was 17 years old. I was just about to graduate high school and I really was kind of like an adrenaline junkie. I was in, you know, contact sports in high school. I was rock climbing. I was skydiving, uh, doing some motocross racing. And I knew going to college, I had some scholarship opportunity and, and going to college really wasn't something I didn't like the academic side of school. And I knew I needed to get into the field of, you know, I really liked working with my hands. I really liked the labor industry. I remember I used to skip school on days that some of my friends were older and they were in the construction business. They were in the the masonry uh, tradesman business and they would offer me cash to go work for them. And I loved doing that. And prior to that, when I was about 12 through 17, I was working some odd jobs. I was uh, always working with my hands, Uh, worked at a furniture store out of a farmer's market. I worked at a lamp factory during the summer. I worked at the local pool helping, uh, you know, a small business guy every, you know, morning for a couple hours, just getting ready for pre-opening. So I just really liked working with my hands. I wanted to be outside. And my mom had a a friend that was an office manager within a tree care company. And it was about 30 minutes from uh, my hometown. And I just thought, hey, how cool would this be? Um, You know, getting up into trees was something that, I don't know. I just felt that I would be able to to take two and and perform really well, and you know, it was really awesome to be able to get into a, a field and start at the very lowest level that you can go into. I went in as a ground man. I was dragging brush. I was you know running brush to the chipper, cleaning up after the arborist. Um, and I remember going. I was there for a couple of weeks, and I was watching them climb the trees, and I'm like. I can do this. I know I can do this. And <laughs> I was kind of cocky and confident. I'm like, I think I can do it better than some of the guys that have probably been doing it for 10 years. And I remember asking the owner and he's like, you know, he's like, you don't even turn 18 until like the end of July. And on my birthday, uh, he came up to me and he gave me a, a climbing harness and he said, Hey, go have at it. So uh, I got into climbing. And from there, I, I really, uh, I worked my way up through the field. I worked for a, a 
some local companies, some some very small companies, some bigger companies, a nationwide company. And I learned a lot during that time. I was in the field for, I had about eight years in the field. And after five years, I kind of knew that this was going to be a career for me. And I really wanted to learn more about arboriculture. When I say that is, I was climbing trees, I was removing trees, I was pruning trees improperly because I didn't really have I didn't have a lot of training background at that point. And the companies I was working with, they didn't provide a lot of training. So I was doing just what I was being taught. I didn't know any better. So I performed it that way. I went and worked for a company that was a very high quality company, really believed in supporting their employees with some proper training, getting them certifications. And I really learned what arboriculture and how to care for trees, how to develop trees uh, as they were, were maturing. And I got out of the field after eight years, I got out of the field and I started selling and managing for a company. And in 2005, I decided to launch Joshua Tree Experts. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so in 2005, you launched Joshua Tree Experts. How long were you in the industry prior to that? 13 years. 13 years. Okay. So you, I remember you telling us you kind of gave that company some time and then decided to launch on your own. So kind of tell us how you evolved and kind of how you got started on your own after having been an employee and and being in trees, um, you know, during your, your professional career. And now all of a sudden you're the business owner. Tell us kind of how that evolved. Yeah. You know, and I, so I was in the field for eight years and I had an opportunity. I had an individual that owned a company um, about an hour south of where I reside. And he'd come up to me and said, hey, I have a vision. I want to grow my company. Uh, we're very small. He was a very small company, had four employees at the time. And I actually worked for one of his friends doing some side work uh, on the weekends and stuff. And so he knew about me and he said, hey, he's like, you know, I'd love for you to come sell and manage and use some of the certifications that I had to help him grow his company. And I did that. And I remember on the interview, I said to him, I said, hey, I'm going to give you five years. I said, I really have uh, uh, the urge to want to launch my own company one day and be able to grow it. And uh, I did exactly that. I gave him five years and I gave him everything I could. And I learned a lot from from him and that business and the, the co-workers and when I left that business, we we got it to about 20 people. And, you know, I was doing really good. I was making really good money. Um, and I remember my family was really concerned and my close friends were concerned for me thinking, man, you're leaving this, this really good, well-structured business. You're making really good money. I was 30 years old. Um, and, I, and I just knew, I was like, I, I think I can do it better though. And And when I say better, I just... I wanted the challenge to be able to, I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to do what a lot of people want to do an entrepreneur. I want to increase my freedom. I want to increase my wealth. I want the challenge and I want, I want to be able to grow something that I can either sell or pass on to my family. And I needed, I I got a truck, a chipper um, and and a spray rig. I was, I've always believed on the recurring end of our business. and, And I'll tell you more about that when we talk about general tree care, pruning, removing trees, and then there's also another part of the business that's that's very easily overlooked by a lot of uh, tree care owners, and that's the the plant health care side, and that's the recurring business of the side um, that is is really overlooked, but it drives a lot of great revenue and profit, and, and ultimately it brings a ton of value to your business. 
It's interesting that you say that about your family and friends, because that's a very common theme when somebody's leaving a comfortable job that pays a regular salary and goes out on their own. Um, I think everyone experiences a little bit of that. Are you crazy? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. We've had um, other franchisors tell us the same thing. I mean, one of our guests several months ago had left Microsoft. Um, She had a really good job and uh, her family thought she was crazy too. So I really admire you taking that leap and kind of going with your gut. Like you said, you felt confident you could do it better. You were 30 years old, which is super impressive as well. Yeah, you know, and to touch base on that, I think in, in business alone, and, and you guys know in your personal, and I think the way that you guys are set up as consultants, you're, you're really your own business. You can get a lot of negativity and it can really start making you think negatively as well. And while it's great to share a lot of your passion, some of the dreams that you want to do, you got to just always remember in your heart that that's what you want to do. And and it's not, you can tell the wrong person, they could be very envious of you, they could be very subjective on what they think, and it can kind of, you know, change your confidence and and really have you start (laughs) guessing negatively about, you know, the actions you want to take and, you know, the kind of path that you want to develop for yourself. So kind of get into, um, you said you bought your chipper and your sprayer, but you, I think you launched out of your home, right? Tell us about that. And then tell us how you ultimately um, grew from there because you got out of your house eventually and got into a commercial space, right? Yeah. And I, that's one of the things about this industry that makes it, you know, pretty unique is that you don't need a large office space. Being in the service industry, you're, you're, you're going to people's homes. And you're not having, you're not a retail store, you're not a brick and mortar, people are coming to you. So I had a a hundred square foot office space that that I utilized. I had a three car garage. I had, uh, I lived somewhat down in the city and not not like city as in Philadelphia city, but you know, a suburban type area. And I was able to park those vehicles right at my house. And I did that for about six months to nine months. And as I grew very quickly, I knew in my region that one of the things that they were missing was an arborist, someone that really knew how to develop and care for trees. So when I launched Joshua Tree, we really targeted that type of customer. And as I grew our team, we knew that we needed to get into a commercial site. And it was a little challenging at the time to to find that. 2009, I acquired a a flat piece of ground that was really, it was a a farmer's field and I was able to uh, get it through zoning and the planning commission and and ended up putting my commercial property out on there. And we run our operation center out of there as of today. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So you um, really, as you said, focused on your Arbor, um, arborist expertise and differentiated yourself that way and grew really quickly. So tell us um, a little bit more about what you attribute that success to. I know um, you have evolved into offering more services. And so all of that, you you take such great care of your, of your customers. And I want you to share a little bit about kind of your mentality regarding customer acquisition and customer care and kind of some of the technology that you guys use to, to be able to maintain your relationships with your customers. Yeah. You know, going into the, the Arbor Care practices, 
you know, tree removal is a one-stop shop. You go out there, you remove the tree. You really don't ever have contact with that client again. And when we're talking about more of a recurring type revenue, there's what they call PHC plant healthcare. That's insect disease management, soil amendments with, um, you know, for trees and shrubs. It's really more of a recurring revenue stream that when you're offering those, you're offering them in programs, you're offering them in a every single year reoccurrence type stream where if you're developing a program for a client this year, you're going to just jump into it and do the same program next year. And it gives your arborist the ability to not only, I mean, you're providing the best care that you can for someone's landscape. And when you get there is, you know, what's different about Joshua Tree is that we're looking at the entire landscape. We're looking at the shrubs. We're looking at the the health of the trees and shrubs. We're seeing how they're placed throughout the property or your evergreens at your north, northwest side where they're blocking winds and are your shade trees at the south, southwest side where it's giving you a lot of good evening shade or your ornamental trees more on the eastern side. Are those evergreens in full sunlight or your shade loving plants in the shade? And we encompass that ecosystem every time we pull up to the properties. The first thing we're looking at is as we're walking up to the site, we're not thinking about just what we got called upon and what the client wants us to look at. We're trying to introduce and look at the whole entire property as a whole. So we have some other talking points when we're out there. And a lot of that is really, it's a cross sellability for your arborist. We really try to do our best to provide as much training we can to our arborist, ask a lot of very detailed questions to our clients to get their minds to start, start shifting on, you know, proper care, having a better experience and relationship with the, the company that's going to be performing the service and really nurturing that for a long-term relationship, not just a one-stop shop where you're going in and, and you're leaving again. I talk, you'll hear me say a lot about relationship building between my employees. You'll hear me say between my clients, because I see, I think it's very, very important. Your best client is your current client. Um, in 2017, you started hitting towards some other services we started providing. We started offering lawn care, which is fertilizer, weed control, aeration, seeding. In 2020, we launched a pest control department, which is doing perimeter pest control, mosquito flea and tick. And a lot of that began as requests from our clients. We were providing a very high level service um, for general tree care, plant health care. And they requested and started asking us if, if we were going to do lawn care. We started launching lawn care. We thought about it for some time. We put a plan together for about two years. We launched it in 2017 and it provided us another cross-selling ability. Uh, it provided another revenue, revenue stream for us, which is a very important one because it's a recurring revenue stream for us. And it gave us the ability to continuously touch base on those properties and have continuous contact with our clients. We do a lot of indoor campaign calls to our current clients. We continually market our current clients. I think the best people to buy from you are the people that are happy with your service. They're going to buy from you again. We do before and after email or service emails and texts. We send you know Christmas cards, thank you letters when at you know at the time of a, a contract signing. We're very we know without our clients that we wouldn't be successful without them. So that's just to me, everything you just described is so unique in your industry. And, you know, what a smart move 
on your part to offer the services that your customers and clients are requesting because they're already happy with you. And now they don't have to contact another company to provide these other services. So, you know, really just looking back on it and thinking about how that all evolved, it just um, is um, really brilliant of you to, to take it to that next level. And as you pointed out, the best customers are, are your current customers. And so if you can retain those and generate additional revenue, it seems to be a very efficient way uh, to do your marketing rather than going so broad and trying to generate a lot of other clients. And I love that it's all recurring revenue. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, um, and it's like you said, it's one point of contact. So they're not having to call three different companies. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, you've got this whole business model now. What made you decide to franchise? 2019, it was early, it was in January 2019. I was down in, I was at a a green industry specific conference and it was through a, a software developing team that we were using at the time. There was maybe 900 attendees there. And we had a pretty good sized team from Joshua Tree there. And as we went through a lot of the different conferences, we were going through the different classes. I realized that we're doing really good things at Joshua Tree. I had a really strong team at that time. We were really talking about growth. We were in a growth stage already where we were growing very, very quickly. And, you know, I I thought, I think we have a franchisable model here. I really do. There was some other limited competitors within this space. And I knew that what we were doing was, was providing a very high quality service to our clientele. And I knew that with the team that, that we could develop other team members to share the vision and continue to to grow forward. So I hired someone to come on board with us at that time to strictly just really document our, our processes and our systems and, and really put it, put it in a way that other people would be able to follow it. So we took our team that we had in our operations team, our customer service team, our sales and marketing, and we put everything into basically a document that we provided to say, hey, this is basically a, a, a how you run a Joshua Tree Experts uh, company. I remember when I, when, when I came home from that conference, I was pumped up. I, I remember reading this book from Mark Seibert. This, uh, it was a franchise uh, strategy book, and I read it like two or three times. And I just thought, hey, you know, this is a for my passion. I, I really wanted a growth strategy. I wanted to pull together resources uh, that I didn't think that I would be able to do on my own, as in funds um, and, um, you know, growing corporately. I didn't think I was going to be able to, to be able to pull that off. And I knew getting some some people that were like minded uh, like myself and. You know, within the franchise system, it statistically shows that franchisees will perform better than managers when they got some type of skin in the game and they're going to do better than managers are going to do. And, and I mean, managers as in your corporate managers, because they want to do well for themselves. And I've always loved developing people. I've taken a lot of people that have had zero and in, zero industry knowledge. And those people are my crew leaders. Now they're my top salespeople. They're running departments within Joshua Tree that, you know, came in, had no experience. And 
between their wanting to grow, their like-minded set that they have on the vision of the company, uh, totally aligned with me, developing them and them receiving that and, and wanting to move forward. I knew that we could, could take this company to a different level. And, you know, we developed the plan and, 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 you know, we launched. That's wonderful. So you've been a franchise since what year? 2021. Yeah. At the very tail end of last year, we got, um, we became legal. That's wonderful. So you developed it obviously took you some time. I think a lot of people don't recognize the value in really taking their time to move from an independent business to a franchise. There is a lot involved and you definitely need to get the right people um, to guide you and counsel you and, and that change. What has been a hurdle now that you're a franchise? You know, it's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's economy, it's supply chain, it's labor. And those are real issues and they're, and they're real issues that are going to be real issues throughout any type of business at, at any given time. And when you think about your team and you think, think about being creative and and strategic, you got to overcome that stuff. And those have been probably some of the hardest things that, that we have overcome and getting your first franchise, getting your first franchisee that wants to join a brand that is growing. Uh, It hasn't proven that it can be a, a, a model that can be repeated uh, not only in the Northeast, but maybe in the Southeast or anywhere throughout the country. Uh, you know, are their systems and processes as strong? Is their training and development as strong as what they say that it is? You know, how can you prove that, hey, this model is something that's repeatable. This is, we have other franchisees that can validate for it. And, you know, what does everybody want? They want more freedom. They want more time. They want more wealth. How can this business opportunity provide that for me. So those would be probably some of the the biggest challenges that that I have seen over, you know, the last, you know, 12 months or so that that we became uh, legal and and we continue to to develop. We continue to nurture relationships and and join um, and develop, you know, relationships with consultants and and our our development team to to go out there and, and try to get us a sale. Well, we talk about this a lot with our clients, but obviously it's a risk, as you said, that you don't have other franchisees to learn from as you're considering being a franchisee. But it's also uh, another scenario where if you want to be a successful franchisor, Joshua, it's imperative that your first franchisees are successful and have positive things to say about their uh, support and uh, help that they're getting. And so newcomers and early adapters have the benefit of knowing that um, they may get a little more hand-holding, maybe a little more attention in the beginning, assistance, what have you, uh, because um, it's imperative that they be successful. So, you know, that is definitely a positive. And you, you're really big on your KPIs and and your numbers and all of that tracking. I I know that. So um, they should have that data to pull from as well, correct? 
Yeah, we do. And thanks for bringing that up. The one thing that, you know, we definitely believe in as a, as a company is we keep scorecards. We know that everything needs to be measurable. My leadership team, uh, we're tracking gross profit margins, client retention, number of days, cash reserve, or everything from client retention rates to employee retention rates, to closing rates, to average job size, average lawn size, What's our penetration rate between a client that's just doing tree care to lawn care to pest control? We are huge on the number side because we think that numbers, you know, kind of tell the story. And it, it also gives a trend every single week over a week that we can look back a year or two years prior to say, hey, what were we doing? You know, if we see something that's tweaked and something that's off, we know exactly what it is. Um, being in the industry, I think one of the, the ups that I have for, you know, uh, I would say a veteran of 30 years in this industry is, you know, when we're looking at a PL, I don't even need to see numbers. I just need to see percentages. I can tell if, you know, if labor is a certain percentage, you know, or, or if it's out this, you know, bracket of what it should be for each department, something's off. I know what our, you know, marketing, you know, what our client acquisition should be per client. I know what our job material costs are, and it all comes down to percentages. I don't see need to see revenue numbers. I don't need to see the actual cost of what we're paying for it. You come down and when you're tracking that much and you know what your measurables are, it just tells you a better story. And, and it makes you make some moves that you need to make today instead of waiting, you know, a month, two months, three months, six months down the road when it's going to be really, really hard to correct at that time. I think that's very impressive. Um, I am not as much of a statistician as you are. Um, <laughs> so I'm always amazed at people that are really on top of their numbers like that. Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, it's very uh, important in business. Roxanne and I recognize that and recognize that uh, that's one of our weaknesses. And uh, we just admire those that are strong in that in that realm. <laughs> We thank you so much for joining us today, Joshua, and taking time out of your day to, to share more about how you got started with Joshua Tree uh, Experts and um, your experiences now that you have evolved into a franchise. If somebody wanted to learn more uh, about you or visit with you in more detail, how would what would be the best way for them to reach you? Hey, they can reach us right from our uh, our franchise development site, which is jtefranchising.com. They can check us out on our consumer website, joshuatreeexperts.com. And you can hit me up, Joshua Malik, uh, on LinkedIn, and I would love to, to hook up with you personally. Thank you, Joshua. We appreciate your time today. Absolutely. And thank you all for joining us today on Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Again, my name is Sarah Wasco. That is W-A-S-K-O-W. My colleague, Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. Please look for us on LinkedIn as well. We're very active there and would love to connect with you. If you would like to listen to other episodes, please feel free to download those wherever you get your podcast. Um, we're on all the podcasts podcast platforms. And you can also, we would invite you and encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. So thanks so much. And we look forward to uh, talking with you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.